Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to the short-term show. Today we have Jonathan Farber of the Millennial Millionaire podcast, and I'm really excited to have him. I've been wanting to have him for a while, actually, and we just finally got connected. But anyway, I'll let Jonathan introduce himself. How's it going, Jonathan? It's going well. I'm excited to be here. I realized uh, as part of all cleanup we're doing, that's actually how I kind of stumbled into coming back around. But we were talking about it. It was like a year ago. We're like re- looking at all of our processes again. So like we just like hired a new like business coach and everything. So like that's kind of part of it, like the cleanup. But um, yeah, it's like we never we never did this. And um, I've been watching what you've been doing just for years now. And uh, it's just really cool to see your community and, you know, a bunch of friends that have got got properties through your team and in your group. So uh, it's just fun. It's cool to see. But excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Start from the beginning. Like you're doing this super cool thing of living half in Colombia now. So I mean, I think everybody wants to be able to get to the point of being able to do that, but let's start from the beginning. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Uh, let's, we'll do the, the kind of down and dirty version and I'm sure we'll dig into stuff, but, um, like many of your listeners, I had no clue how to get into real estate when I was coming out of college. I, saw people in it. I saw people make money with it. You know, you read the stats that 90% of either millionaires or billionaires, probably millionaires, uh, come from real estate investing. And for me, I saw other people that didn't seem that much smarter than me. And they were way more successful than other people that seemed really smart and people that were working higher in the corporate ladder than I was on the path I was on. So, um, I moved to North Carolina, had a college for a job, and I was like, okay, if I can just get one or two maybe properties a year by the time I'm 30, maybe I'll be in a good spot. Maybe I'll be that word, financial freedom, fire, FI, whatever. Um, and I started with the bigger pocket strategies. For those who don't know, that's still an amazing place to start. I know you've done a lot with them and it's been cool to see, um, but tons of good beginner content. And that's what I started with, a strategy called house hacking. I bought a property. I put three and a half percent down. I rented out the rooms to people I worked with and I was kind of off to the races. When I saw that I could live for free from that strategy, I was like, this is a huge step towards financial freedom because housing is now paid for. I was getting paid to live instead of paying 13 or $1,400 a month. And that was a huge part of my paycheck at the time. So I was like, okay, we're onto something here. And then from there, just got the bug more. I got into the world of virtual assistants and getting them to help with some of the day-to-day while I was still working my job. And then I was buying one or two properties a year, again, lower, very creative financing strategies. And then when COVID hit, I was looking at it like the opportunity to really double down and do some stuff that I thought could get me out of my job. And I was doing some help with multifamily projects at the time. My friend needed some help raising money and I was helping him with that. 
But then I kind of stumbled into the world of short-term rentals um, just from a friend who was in an area I liked, found a property and it was a for rent property, actually. It's a good kind of like thought, something we could talk about later. A good lesson is it was a property for rent and I just offered the person a sale price and they took it. They were interested in it and it was technically an off-market deal. That was my first Airbnb. It was the first one that made me realize there's something here. The first property made more money in the first month than the other five traditional rentals I had. Um, so I was kind of hooked at that point. And from there, just started doubling down on looking for deals, adding virtual assistants to help analyze deals, analyze neighborhoods. I was building relationships, creating content, that sort of stuff. And then just bought a couple more properties in that time, left my job. And then I became this digital nomad. It's the biggest cliche word I feel like I heard ever, but I, you know, whatever. So I was just like, I want to travel and I hate cold weather. So then I kind of did this little exercise, like a lifestyle design exercise. I was like, where do I want to be? What do I want to do every day? And I was like, I want to be in warm weather, hanging out with cool people and, uh, you know, do projects and just pick what I want to do. So I looked around and then I picked Columbia because I had friends there and the golf is really good. I'm a big golfer. Um, one of my things, my perfect day, like I play golf every single day. I probably play 300 to 350 rounds a year. Uh, after this, I'm going to meet my mom at the course. She walks with me sometimes. We just go play golf. She doesn't play. But uh, yeah, that's how I decided. So I do the summers here. I do the winters in Columbia. Virtual assistants are managing my properties, helping me find new deals, helping me create content, all for 4 to $7 an hour. And that's pretty much it. Now, you know, I'm still doing deals, have a property under contract, um, you know, in, in the Carolinas, I try to do one deal a quarter. And um, now we have communities, we help people get into the game. And uh, the whole thing that I try to think about is how to just do stuff you like and uh, how to, you know, build a business and a job that you don't dread. And I see a lot of people get into real estate and they're working tons of hours, which is fine. It's definitely necessary, but you know, like they're not maybe, you know, I want everyone to enjoy what they do. So uh, that's the gist. That's kind of how we got here today. Awesome. So what was the timeline of that first deal to being able to do the digital nomad thing? Just for clarity here. I started when I was 22 and I started to do the traveling and, you know, moving around a lot when I was 27. So five years, but I think now knowing what I know now, and also the furnished rentals world, I think it could have been two or three years instead of five, you know, maybe two, like, like if I would have just been more aggressive with house hacking and then one investment a year, you know, short-term rental, it could have been one year. Like I really, I really believe people can still do that, but, um, it was five for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with going slow. I think a lot of people, uh, get too hung up in going fast and then they'll like quit their job that, before they needed to, like before I would say I, my advice would be don't quit your job until you've maxed out all 10 of your conventional loans, because those are the easiest yes. ones to get. Um, but a lot of people are like myself included, actually, I did it too, but I was only making 35 grand, 36 grand a year. So me quitting that job was like a lot easier than quitting a hundred thousand dollar job. But, um, you know, a lot of people run off and want to quit their job so fast that they don't realize they could have used that to get their portfolio bigger and kind of bolster that cash flow before they actually just jump out of it altogether. So I think that's wise that you took five years. It's so spot on. I have, and you might have it too, but so many people see people doing arbitrage and co-hosting and they say, okay, that's where I want to start. I usually flip it and say, I think you should try to max out the loans you can get if you have a decent high paying job, especially if you're in sales. 
and your commissions aren't going to change if you go to a new job or they're not going to transfer. Like you might be kind of only being able to, able to get loans off your base. So I, I could not agree with that more. And I usually tell people the exact same thing, like max out your loans and then you could leave your job and then you can do all the strategies that don't require you to be able to get loans right. or have large sums of money. So yeah, really good advice. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people actually quit their jobs before they've started the investing. Like, okay, I'm quitting my job to become an investor. And then I'm like, wait. <laughs> so that would be the extreme hard way to do it. So I think that, you know, making, building up that cash flow around your W2 first, also the house hacking thing, like the anybody's biggest expense, whether you're new to the workforce or you've been working for 25 years, most of the time, your biggest expense is going to be your housing. And so if you can knock that out, through house hacking so that you can then roll what you would have been paying in housing into saving for more investments. Like that's a really great way to kind of speed the process up to knock out that biggest expense. So, so true. I mean, I guess just the last thing I'll say about that is it's different for everyone. The biggest thing I think, you know, like it's a non-tactic, so it might sound a little fluffy and I, I love tactical, but this is just something to think about is like evaluate your own needs and your own like personality and style. You know, if you're the type of person that you perform better when your back's against a wall, then maybe it doesn't make sense to quit your job. If you're the type of person that likes to kind of have some security and you know that you'll still be able to take action towards a goal, then keep the job and you can build a side hustle. But it just depends. Some people, they they can only operate when their back's against a wall. So I would say, okay, then, then put yourself in that situation. There's other ways you could do that though. You get an accountability coach or, you know, you don't need to like kill your lifeline, but just for everyone listening, evaluate what you need to do to take action. You know, everyone has a different need and there's probably five or eight things that you can like, you know, surround yourself with to take action. But um, it's just different for everyone. Everyone has different, you know, backgrounds and drivers. So yeah, I mean, just evaluate it, but either way you can definitely get it done. Absolutely. And that's, I want to hit on this too. Uh, that's really cute that your mom walks with you while you're playing golf. My mom totally does that with my little brother. I come from, a, I don't play golf personally. I come from a big golf family though, but and I used to be bored to tears on the golf course, which is why I don't, because I associate it with like being bored as a child and like begging my parents to leave. But um, that's really cute and nice of you. Like that's sweet to have your mom walk with you. <laughs> yeah. And just like to, to the whole reason that we do stuff is usually for most people you ask them, why do you want to be financially free? It's to have more time with your friends, your family, like do stuff you like. So for me, that's become, um, you know, like an important part of my life. I want to spend more time with my family. They're getting older. We're all busy. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, she just hangs out, you know, and for you, we could find a way that you could like golf, you know, for most of my friends, the sport is like partying and then the golf is just like there on the side, you know, so <laughs> They're, uh, they're doing it that way, but a lot of different ways to do it. So yeah, but financial freedom means you could spend more time with your friends, your family, do whatever. Yeah. I think tennis is going to be my gig more so than golf. And I, I don't know how to play. I mean, I know how I know the rules and I've been an athlete in a past life. So I don't think it's going to be terribly difficult, but that's one of my, uh, I hate to use the word new year's resolution because you should have goals all the time and not just on new year's, but next year I do plan on getting some tennis lessons and getting in a league. That's my, my goal. For sure. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to some short-term rental stuff. So, uh, or, or some more real estate investing stuff. So how many, how many units do you own right now? What's in your portfolio? What does that whole mix look like? Um, I have five short-term rentals, two traditional rentals, and then I 
with two partners bought a 24 unit building in Kentucky. Uh, that's yeah. a traditional rental. And then uh, now we're just, I'm back to looking to add stuff. I think now is an opportunity. Uh, we could talk about that more too, but um, yeah. So kind of getting back in acquisition mode. I think it's a really good time to be in acquisition mode in terms of being able to get deals. Like the interest rate thing is definitely a hurdle, but you know, that's, that's, there's always going to be a reason not to buy stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are using interest rates as an excuse at the moment, which is a good excuse, you know, high interest rates suck, but there's always going to be a reason not to, not to buy the deal. So I get this question a lot and I'm going to flip it on you. Um, if short-term rentals have made you so much more money than traditional long-term rentals, why are you buying long-terms? Um, really good question. You know, I like to have both. Um, mm -hmm. even, even with like the short-term rental stuff I have, I have some that's nightly, some that is midterm or extended stay, and then some that was regular. Um, in that specific instance, it was actually just sort of situational. I had a 1031 from a property that I sold a short-term rental and, um, I had a friend that just came to me and said, Hey, like we need help funding this. I'll make you a partner in the deal. I just need cash. So for me, that was an opportunity to get equity and become a partner in a bigger deal um, and get some experience there. But <clears throat> I think both have value. I think for me, I look at the short-term rentals as a little bit more high risk, a little bit more high reward and the traditional rentals just being more low risk, low reward. Um, so I look at them a little bit like a hedge, but that specific one was, um, just to kind of fork with this 1031, but, um, my background wasn't traditional rentals. I took my traditional rentals and I turned them into furnished rentals and then kept buying more furnished. So I guess for me, I'll do my bread and butter and like experience of short-term rentals and furnished rentals. So that's usually what I'll do if I'm the active operator on a project. But if someone has a deal that they need help raising money for, or they just need capital and they'll give me, you know, like a, a decent equity split, I'll, I'll look at it and uh, no problem doing it. Awesome. And I, I really like that answer because there's very few. So just to give you some background on me. So a fraction of our portfolio is short terms, the rest long terms, uh, both multi and single family. And people always ask me that question and say, well, if short terms are so great, then why do you buy long terms? And it, the answer is because I, I want to have both or all three, because I consider them three asset classes, the single family long terms, the multifamily long terms and the short terms. Um, they're mm -hmm. all in different types of markets. So I'm not buying long terms in the same types of markets that I'm buying short terms. Um, but it's good to have a diverse portfolio. It's good to have, and you don't need a thousand short terms. Everybody's like, well, why don't you have 240 short terms? Because I don't need 240 short terms. You only need five to 10 tops to get you the cash flow that you need to go buy stuff that truly is more passive. So, but it seems like everybody who's into short term is like all in on short term, doesn't want anything to do with long term, and long term people don't want anything to do with short term. But it's a good, you need to have a little bit of everything in a good portfolio, in my opinion. But, you know, what do I know? I totally agree. <laughs> I still, I go back and <laughs> forth every day, like what my long term goal is. And some days I wake up and I'm like, I want to do this, like, just keep growing what I'm doing in 30 years. Other days I'm like, I maybe <clears throat> can just get to X number of traditional rentals on the back end of, you know, more short-term rentals and then just disappear and then mm -hmm. do whatever. And like, you know, they both have major pros and they both have cons, you know, like 
it just depends on what stage you're in. But I think like for me, when I was getting started, I needed the heaviest cash flow possible to, to replace my cost of living and to feel good enough about leaving my job. When I was getting into the game, I didn't see a path to do that with traditional rentals. I saw the rents that I was making. And I remember this exact day, I did like a calculation. I was like, I'm not adding enough units to be like financially free by any age that gets me excited. And then I was thinking, okay, then what are the other options? And I saw the returns in cash on short term rentals and it could be a lot faster. So for me at the time, it was like a no brainer, but also I was, and I still am, you know, we're both young, but I was like 24, 25 at the time. I was like, I didn't have family. I was running around and it was exciting to do. And that's fine. Um, I think you can do both, but for me, like I still will continue to buy both for me though. I, I won't do both or I won't, I won't ever do short-term rentals if I don't feel like the system is in place to make it, um, manageable and, you know, like not feel easy, but that also took me a lot of time to set up and, uh, put in place. But I think both is, is important to have, and it's like a hedge in my opinion. So that's interesting to hear though, that like people must, you know, love asking that question. And uh, yeah, it's just, you can, you can also do both at different times of your life. You could do short-term rentals to get to one place and then you could do regular rentals, you know, to kind of hedge and just kind of back end, you know, a little bit more of like a secure investment. Absolutely. So you mentioned systems just now. Let's talk about systems. You're a big virtual assistant guy. So let's talk about that. How do you use virtual assistants? How have they made your life easier? Because a lot of people are at the point where they're like, okay, I need to figure out how to free up some time. I'm like super busy. I'm running around with my hair on fire all the time. And they want to look into virtual assistants, but they don't really know where to start. Yeah, this is um, and not to like knock anyone, but like I, I see sometimes like on TikTok or Instagram, like people are, uh, you know, they're still handling messages themselves. And um, I think in general, like that can be something delegated pretty early um, with the right training and, and setup. So like when we're talking about virtual assistants, uh, virtual assistants at the highest level just mean it's someone that works virtually. They don't work physically where you are and they could be anywhere else. The more granular version of it is typically that's people that are out of the country that you can um, employ or bring onto your team and they are at a lower cost per hour than a US based person. Um, but then again, like it's not our team. Okay. So just breaking down like systems of virtual assistants. So for me and my day to day, um, we have six virtual assistants. They are full-time people, but they do all different things, content creation, editing, um, stuff around real estate, analyzing deals, um, handling guest communications, um, but then I also have a stay at home, uh, full-time mom who I also think is some of the best type of virtual assistant type work that you can get there in the U S and there's a huge pool of these people, but anyway, like they are helping with the day-to-day -day of the business so that I can do a little bit more of like strategic and like visionary things of meeting people, thinking about different strategies, setting goals for the company, managing things. And, and they can do that. So we find most of our virtual assistants from Upwork, from onlinejobs.ph and Facebook groups. And then um, we have a system for training people. Um, I'm putting more and more content out about that, like kind of getting away from just real estate, but it's a passion of mine to help people like get a better grip on their life and business. So we've been making more content about that. So if anyone's interested in that, just you could shoot me a DM. But yeah, like it's, 
it took time to build up, but everything is a checklist in my opinion. Like I, I took a, this was one of the most important things I ever did in my life or business. I just made a list of every single activity that happens in the business from social media to real estate acquisitions, to working with brands, to creating digital products, and then filmed a loom video for all 111 of those items. And then that was an easy way for me to say, okay, who can do these things? Which of them are connected and where do we have gaps? And um, then, you know, start training people, but just by giving them a list of things with videos, instead of saying like, here's what I think is kind of the job, but now it's very clear, this is the job and here's what we measure. That's the other thing that's really important system is measuring. Everyone has a number. So even my assistant has a number of what to manage every day of, okay, are all my emails back to zero now? Are all our to-dos either commented or um, done? are the team members sending their accountability cards to that person every day or every week. And, you know, for people that are doing like activity around short-term rentals, you know, are we getting to all messages within five minutes? Are we analyzing a hundred deals a day? Like all the things that we can track so that we don't have to say, are we, we don't have to guess and say, are we on track or not? It's okay. Is our scorecard red, green, or yellow? And then from there, we know if we're going to have good outcomes in a month or two, because everything lags. So uh, I'm totally just rambling here, but um, go right ahead. Every, it's valuable. <laughs> yeah, that's just what came to mind. So yeah. yeah, let's talk about the VAs that run your short-term rentals. So I assume because you have so many, you have some that are running your short terms. Yeah. Um, so we can talk about like what they're actually doing, but the gist of what they're doing is guest communication and communicating with vendors, cleaners, handy people. Uh, runners, things like that. Um, but yeah, they're just monitoring a chat. There's two that that kind of monitor things right now. One is in the Philippines and one is in um, Florida, that stay-at-home mom. Um, and you know, she just had a baby and she just wanted a little extra work. The virtual assistant just had experience with this and wanted a little bit more pay and just a little bit more like growth experience. So when we get inquiries, when guests are asking questions, they can answer them. We have property guides for each of the properties. They can just reference those. And if there's something they can't reference, you know, they usually can either figure it out or they'll come to me. Um, you know, so there's, you know, we could talk about more detail in there, but that's the, the gist of the high level. Okay. So we also in my house live and die by using loom as well. Like, uh, this morning or yesterday morning, my husband was down in the playroom and I was upstairs in the kitchen, like getting the kids breakfast ready. And I needed something with price labs. And I was like, I need you to show me how to do this. And he like made me a loom from downstairs in our house and sent it to me so I could use it on my computer upstairs while I was getting the kids ready. And like, it really does loom is the best. So here's, here's kind of what I want to know. Um, what was the ramp up time from you learning how to manage your own short-term rentals to the time that you offloaded that those tasks to VAs. Cause what I'm getting at is I see a lot of investors who they're brand new, they're buying their first property, they're going to self-manage it, but they want to start with the VAs right off the bat before they even know how to do what they're trying to have the VAs do. So I want to just kind of get a quick overview timeline and then I'll ask some more questions. Okay. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that. Um, that's so important. I guess I kind of was getting at a little bit of like, I was documenting the process first and then giving it to someone, but Oh my God, that's one of the biggest mistakes people make with virtual assistants or just employees in general is I look at it like two ways and, and um, then we'll come back. I'll, I'll talk on uh, how long it took, but 
it's either you 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 pay employees in different ways. So and and their value or their cost is monitored differently. But if you're bringing someone on that doesn't have experience, then it's going to cost you a lot of your time, and you're going to pay them with physical cash that's less than maybe you would be able to with someone that had experience. Cost more time, but less money. So then I like to think about what's more valuable to me right now, my time or the money that they're asking for. At the beginning, I was doing everything and figuring it out and then training people as it like came along and they were just shadowing me. Uh, and now I am more open to paying for people that have experience and they don't require training because I don't have as much time. And I feel like, well, just you know, like measuring my time, it has a higher monetary value. So it's flipped a little bit for, but for people at the beginning, I think still doing it yourself to learn the process and then doing subtle handoffs of things and even starting with part-time virtual assistants, way better. Uh, and handing someone and asking someone to just figure something out that you don't know how to do or manage and they don't have experience with it, huge mistake. Uh, for a while, I was like, why are these people, these virtual assistants, these employees, they're not staying or they're not good at what they do. Like, because they didn't have any training. They didn't have training. They had no background. And like, they were expecting me to train them and I didn't even know how to train them. So um, then just to talk about the timeline, it took probably a good, a solid year and a half of doing like the hand-to-hand -hand combat myself, like the setups, the design, and I'm horrible at design um, of like, before I realized that I could manage other people a little bit better, or at least like then I felt good enough to bring on people that needed less training um, or I could train them just more effectively. So I would say like a year and a half to two years. Um, and now we're still improving things, but I feel like we're in a better rhythm where the people we have now, I feel really good about. And um, you know, like they, they can walk into a little bit of infrastructure. So I'd say one and a half to two years of like, but I was, I was also grinding really hard. Like during COVID, I just stopped everything. And all I did was like live this every day. So like, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day, I didn't play any golf. Um, I just didn't leave my house, you know, and like, that's okay. But now we documented everything and it works better. But I would say one to two years of like heavy, but uh, it can be shorter. You could also hire people that have experience, but you just might have to pay them with more money instead of time. Um, and that's okay. Like if you can find VAs that have hospitality experience. So one to two years, I would say that was like, as long as it could take, um, but could be, you know, shorter if you have a person that has done it before. Yeah. My suggestion was going to be, you need to own and manage your short-term rental for one full year. So you know what to expect with each season, because I think that people mm -hmm. don't understand that like, okay, if you're buying in a beach market, you're going to be like jammed March to October, and then you're going to be slow. And that's okay, but you have to kind of know what tasks need to be done at each time of the year. Or if you're in a market that um, is booked a little more year round, but maybe is a lower price per night, then that's going to look different too. So I, I think you need to be through one full round of seasonality. I guess you would call that a year um, round of seasons. <laughs> but well, I like that though. It's so true. <laughs> you need to be through one full year of, <laughs> and seeing what the seasonality is before you go to teach somebody else. And my virtual assistant who's, who's here in production mode is texting me on the side telling me, oh yeah, you know, that's totally happened to me. That's the biggest pressure of being a virtual assistant is worrying about getting fired because they didn't train you. So you don't know what you're doing. So you don't do that. And then they fire you. She said she had a client for one week, one time, because that's 
exactly what happened. And Che's been with me. How long have you been with me now? Che, like four years, a long time. I can't live without Che. She, she knows like if I'm trying to do something and I can't find it or something's going wrong with my computer, she's like, you have 127 tabs open. Don't you You need to close it? Like she knows. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Like she could, she could, she knows you better than like, you know, (laughs) sometimes like it's, it's so real though. But like, I, I didn't really understand that well enough at the beginning that like, if someone can't measure their success in a role and they're coming in every day wondering like, am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? Like, it's really not fair to that person. Um, and like, you know, that it's a really important part. Um, and it's why now in some cases, like we'll hold off on bringing someone until we develop the process better, just because it's like the chance of them being able to come in when everything is disorganized and have success is so low you know, as opposed to having a little bit of structure and then a little bit of like a process that they can be gold on. Um, it makes a big difference, but again, at the beginning, it's very, you can't just, you know, have that to your point, like doing it yourself and learning the things. Um, that's a big part of the process. Absolutely. So those of you who wanted to quit your job before you start investing, and then also just buy one property and get your VA immediately, we're sorry to have crushed your dreams. (laughs) And, you know, like you could start part-time um, or you can, here's what we do now with our virtual assistants. And whether, again, this is for anyone that's on your team, physical, virtual, you know, what we'll do now is I'll buy training for them, you know? So like, we're looking to grow our Twitter. So we have someone that is, they're, they're willing to learn and they're excited to learn. I don't have that skill of being able to grow a Twitter account yet. But we just went out and bought training. We just, you know, Justin Welsh has Twitter and LinkedIn training. So we're going to buy it. I'm not going to really watch it, but they're going to watch it. And then they're going to become good because now at least they have training. Again, I couldn't give them that training, but they need it from someone. So that's the other thing now that we've done more and more is for different, you know, types of things. We, I hire more consultants, you know, than, you know, not, you know, I'm sure a lot of people do, but like, when we're looking at Zapier, I don't know how to use Zapier. So we're going to hire a consultant. They could train our team on how to do it. Then they know how to do it. But like, I can't bring someone on with no experience and say, learn Zapier. Cause it's just, you know, that's not, that's not cool. So, well, I had to learn that. Like, I, I didn't know that like three years ago, you know, but it's like trying to build culture and team and make sure that like people know how to be like fully successful in the job. Yeah, I think I've I've thrown Che into a few things that I was just like, here, learn how to do this, <laughs> do it. Um, yeah, so uh, that I think that buying them training, you know, from an expert is that's a that's a great idea. There have been times that I look back on now that I'm like, man, that would have been cool of you to do, but um, didn't do it. But you know, we all get to where we are, however we get here. <laughs> Yeah, you know, exactly. There's always that fine line of like, you know, white knuckling stuff, and then being able to like measure it and give it to someone else. But, you know, there's, there's a learning curve with all of it. Absolutely. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. 
Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. So we are to the final three questions of our show, and it seems like you started doing things right pretty early, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway. So what advice would you give 20-year-old Jonathan? Mm, um, I was going to say, I, I'll say get help. Like, And what I mean with that is it could be from mentors or from hiring people like for me hiring an assistant was like the biggest like game like game changer but I didn't again kind of back to like what we're talking about here like get help I didn't know how to like look at things and realize that not everyone didn't like what I didn't like to do you know so for me I needed to realize that uh so at 20 years old it'd be probably like take a look at what you like doing or who's ahead of you and what they're doing and then see what part of that you like doing or not and what you can give to someone else or you can just manage without doing. Uh, and that's sort of like when things really started taking off when we, we don't work together anymore, but like my first assistant, like it, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, she didn't like talking to people. She didn't like her face on a camera. She didn't like, um, you know, like thinking about money and like goals. So for me, I would say the advice would be um, find like, well, mentors are the whole shortcut to this, but I would say get around people that can like help you when you're weak and it could be mentors or it could be um, VAs, it could be employees, things like that, but um, like solve for your weakness and try to just get rid of it and, you know, like not get rid of it, but like offload it to someone else and then you can do what you like to do and what makes you money. Solve for your weakness. I wrote that down. That's such a great soundbite. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah, I God. do that all the time. <laughs> no, no. I wish I would have like more. Like I was, I was talking to someone about that with golf this morning and I was like, in golf, you can't do that. Cause you have to kind of be good at everything, you know, to be like a well-rounded like player. But I was like, in life you can, it's awesome. You can just focus on what you're good at and you can give the other stuff to other people. And the chances are like, you can find people that also love it. So you're not giving someone something that they hate, you know, like when I talk to my bookkeeper and my accountant, I'm like, you guys actually like this. I can't stand it, but like you guys actually like it. And, you know, I was doing that for a long time. I was miserable. So I guess, yeah, just it's constant reminders of it though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And speaking of golf, so what advice would you give a new investor who wants to be able to play golf every day? Who's getting started right now today on their first deal? What advice would you give them? Uh, okay. Um, I can get tactical here. It would be start your day early and, um, always do the most important thing your day. Like the first thing it's so much easier said than done, but by doing that, I felt this, um, like I, I didn't have guilt in myself to go out and like have my afternoons off because I was starting my day early and I was doing the most important things that that is. Um, uh, and I guess just like time management tip. I'm a big batcher and like, I'm even doubling down on like batching more. Like I'm going to be restarting like heavier into podcasting and YouTube. I'm my goal with it is to do one day of filming a month and one full day of like scripting and organizing a month. 
Um, so like one day do four podcasts, maybe film four YouTube videos, and then that's it for my content for the month. So then the rest of the time I can just, you know, do whatever for the other 29 days of the month, meet people, analyze deals, just tinker with random crap. You know, like I go down these random holes. I just want to learn stuff. Um, so what I would say to someone is like, see where in your business you can batch things up and, um, the things that you still have to do, knock them out as early as you can in the day so that you can then have your afternoons to do, you know, whatever you want. Um, yeah, that's, that's really it. And like, even, you know, back to kind of delegating stuff, like I realized I didn't like analyzing deals. So I needed to find someone who had experience analyzing deals. And for the longest time I was like, uh, that's not possible. You know, no one's going to do it as well as you. And people told me that like on bigger pockets, I would like, you know, say, Hey, has anyone ever hired an analyst? And they're like, like, it doesn't work. And I'm like, what does that mean? So, um, <laughs> when I did that though, I was like, okay, now I have my time back. And you know, like, that's a thing that I'd never like doing. I would probably procrastinate doing it and not do it anyway. And, you know, now that's just off the plate. I can get up a little more excited every morning and just focus on the stuff that I like. So time management, batching, get the stuff early done in the day, done early in the day. And then, um, yeah. And you could join a country club and you're going to meet a lot of people and, you know, you can get better at golf. So, yeah. The other thing I'll say on golf, and I'm totally rambling here. I'm sorry. Like, all right. Columbia, I started doing more like speed golf. I hate slow golf. That is one of my biggest, like, well, my biggest life pet peeve is like wasting time and like when other people waste my time. But on golf, it can be really slow. Like, I think that's also why a lot of people hate it. And especially real estate investors, they don't have a lot of time. So for me in Columbia, I was playing one round a day in two hours. And uh, it was great. It was like a workout, you know, like, you know, it was that fast. It didn't have to be five hours. So every day I could golf, get 18 holes in and go. I also know some other people, they golf before work. They tee off at like six. They're done at like 8.30, shower, and they're like at their office at 9.30. So um, there are ways to do it, but you know, it takes a little bit of kind of organizing, but it's totally possible. Interesting. All this golf talk, it makes me be like, well, maybe, maybe. my dad was a, a pro golfer when I was really little. Up until way. I was about four. Yeah. So, which is, you know, why we're such a big golf family. Like, well, maybe I should let dad take me out next time I'm home and just see how it goes. Cause I've got a membership. So basically we have a membership to a country club because the beaches here, the, there's like all these um, rules about what a public beach is and who owns the beach. So there's a lot of the homeowners who own these big mansions on the beaches are arguing in court that they own all the way to the waterline. So when we first moved here, we were like, man, this is annoying. We didn't know this. So we joined, well, it's called a beach club, but it's got a golf course. So I'm like, well, yeah. maybe I should use that. You've, you've yep. convinced me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and, and just like, even for, forget like even, um, you know, just the, the time it takes, but you can meet a lot of people through golf. And I mean, you, you're already established. A lot of people know you, but for a lot of other people, you can do business, you know, meeting people in the course. And that's a great way to build relationships with people and, you know, like get to know people a little bit better. And a lot of people that play golf are wealthy. Um, I had like a couple of like TikToks that like went, you know, kind of funny. Um, a lot of people from both sides had strong opinions, but I was like, take the money you were going to go to college with and just join a country club. Like, I saw that people. one. <laughs> yeah. And people were freaking out, but I'm like, I truly believe that. I'm like, I didn't learn any tactical stuff in school. And then everyone was like, 
Well, you go for the network. I'm like, you can need a network at a country club. Like everyone's a millionaire there. So like, you know, why not? That's yeah, that's true. So I got a master's, an MBA and everybody, it was an executive MBA from Belmont University in Nashville. And everybody was like, oh yeah, your network from this is going to be like the best thing ever. It's going to be the rest of your life. And even all the people, all my classmates said that too. And you know how many people in that network have actually had anything to do with me ever one he was my broker for a minute <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I agree. You know, the networking, um, you know, putting yourself in the right rooms with the right people is a better way to network than college. Yep. So, you know, different for everyone, doctor, lawyer, accountant, hearing that it might not apply, but if you're listening to this, you're probably looking to do business and you know, that's, that's kind of, yeah, where you can make a lot of connections. Awesome. Great answer again. And last question is, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Mm, it's probably obvious, but Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Um, Less people say that than you would think. Really? Um, when I ask them, yeah. I mean, we've only gotten that twice. It's just like if you read that book, it's, I read that book actually early on in my life when I was in corporate and it didn't really click. And then I read it again when I was kind of getting more entrepreneurial. And it's, it's like kind of the playbook for my exact, my, my life setup. Um, if you read that book, like his whole concept in that book is to take mini retirements and to have like long, like periods of hard work, but on projects you really like. And for me, like that is kind of, it's, it's exactly how I want to set my life up. Like my, my setup now is I want to work really hard on stuff that I really enjoy from September to April and then I take the summers off to just play competitive golf. So I don't really want to look at stuff in that time, you know, then back to like another book, the one thing, like, I really do believe that too. Like you can, we get really good at focusing on one thing at a time. And for me, like when I'm playing tournament golf, I don't really want to be on like podcasts and talking to people. So, you know, I just want to focus on that. So yeah, that book. Great recommendation. Well, yeah. Jonathan, uh, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, if any of our listeners want to follow you, uh, I was going to say uh, watch your content, but that would be following. Also, join your communities, et cetera. Where can they find you? Probably Instagram. Um, probably just the easiest. It's just J-O-N-J-F-A-R-B. Um, we post content daily on there, um, links to our communities and stuff. And, um, just, you know, answer a lot of questions, answer DMS, comments, things like that. And it has links to everything, but if anyone is interested, feel free to shoot me a DM, uh, answer every DM that gets sent to me and, uh, you know, questions or recommendations on things you want to see more of, we look at it and we just plan it out. So that'd be the best way. And, uh, yeah, just don't be shy. Feel free to come, come say hi. And, uh, you know, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for coming on, Jonathan, and we will catch you later. Okay. Thanks, Avery.